Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode here of the Echelon Cycling Podcast. It is number 28. Yes, I'm counting because I'm excited for 100. And this is the world's, well, super world's edition, I guess, in Glasgow. And uh, yeah, last week I was in South Korea, jet lag, terrible. But this week, it's the turn of Patrick. You're in where? Uh, I'm well, I'm in Aberfoyle, which is just north of Glasgow. Uh, hence why I'm recording this on my phone, because my laptop refused to connect to the Wi-Fi network in this house. So we've got me on mobile today. But yeah, it's actually, it's been a good, fun day. I've just watched the men's elite race up on Crow Road. I didn't go into the city centre, but it was a, a cracking event. So we'll have a good chat about that today because it was a, a real one for the ages, I think. I mean, you're no pressure on you. Time to change location at some point. Well, I'm currently in my childhood bedroom in my parents' house because I'm in between apartments. Oh, well, to be fair, this does beat being in my old, the bathroom of my old apartment, which did happen before the Tour de France. Great episode. That's true. That was good. Uh, but uh, yeah, in terms of the world, I mean, it hasn't just been the road race, obviously, Macho Vanderpool winning that, but uh, we also, well, between the three of us, we just saw that Filippo Ghana, the ever heartbreaker, just breaking the heart of Dan Bigham, who almost took the world, ra- uh, well, the world title. Uh, I, I obviously I'm very happy as well because Denmark won the men's junior and got their revenge on uh, Filippo Ghana and his his companions in the team pursuit. But yeah, what have you thought of this world championship so far? I can kind of understand their setup now in a way because we were talking about the Super World Championships and what is kind of a point of it. But they're sort of trying to make it almost like an Olympic style thing where there's medal tables and because there's so many events, it's sort of backing your nation and there's so much going on like there's medals for everything like for age categories and grand fondos and stuff which freaking just, just random people what's the guy who owns israel called sylvan adams also vinokurov won yeah the categories as well yeah so there's so many medals so it's sort of like an olympic style thing so i can kind of get why we're doing it but it is very chaotic i will admit it's very hard to keep track of everything that's <laughs> What's going on? Is that just me? Or am I just am I the only one who's struggling to keep hold of what's going on? It seems like yeah. there's a lot of things going on. Yeah, it's kind of overload with like all the track stuff, then like the road racing. It's almost too much to take in in one go. Maybe it's just because like my body is like used to September being the world championship time of year, but like I wasn't that hyped. And like it doesn't feel like the world championship. So I feel like it's we're still in this like strange in between part of the season, like the post Tour de France hangover period. But it looks like it's going down swimmingly from what I've seen from people on the ground in, in Scotland as well. It's uh, It's been a success so far. Swimmingly because it's raining so much. It, it was uh, it was all right today. Oh, apart from protesting. But, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing going on. I was miffed because I was like, where are they? They should only be, they should be arriving where I am. And then I was like, oh, it's neutralized. And I was stood there for an extra like 30 minutes just like that. Oh. Where are the riders? When are they going to sell? So from a personal standpoint, I was like, oh, this is this is killing my day. Yeah, we were thinking of you on stream as well. We were like, <laughs> oh, obviously, well, Ewan was being very diplomatic, saying, yes, they have the right to protest. The planet is dying, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, obviously, I would rather that they interrupt the 
the snooker and the cricket because I don't care about that. Uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, obviously, it was sad for the writers as well. For the snooker, nobody. It doesn't matter. Like he doesn't need to warm up again. Here, the writers needed to warm up or get. They would get cold quite quickly. But I mean, See, that, you say that about snooker, but like you, you, you got to be in that mental up. zone. Be in the zone. Snooker for our American viewers is like a different version of pool with loads of different multicolored balls. I'm very boring. Uh, but anyways, the road race, much of Vanderpool winning, absolute legend, uh, even crashed and his boa failed or something and still managed to win the race. Yeah, well, you and I did the recap and race analysis over on the second day in Extra Channel. But yeah, uh, Patrick, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well on it. My boy is just so perfect. The, the way that Vanderpoel winning was just brilliant. I think that of all the people, I even said coming in today, if there's anybody who I would love to win tomorrow, it would be Matthew because he is the embodiment of all things great in cycling. So him winning for the first time on the road in the road world championships, I know he kind of won under 23, but elite level. I was like, wow. I was like, this is just brilliant. And the fact that the podium was rounded out by Wilder and his ever-present like this rival. And then Pigaccia, who's also just the pure embodiment of pure cyclismo from this year. I was like, wow, this is really just a, a fantastic event. So I really loved it. And yeah, the fact that Vanderpool's crash and his bow and he ripped it off, oh, it was such such drama to add into the finale as well. But it was brutal. It was a brutal race. Was it too dangerous? Yeah, it's... After the race, Teddy Pogacar said, like, if there was one more lap, he would have ended up in an ambulance. Um, and I think after he made that comment, he, like, came down with, like, just being so fatigued. He had to do his interviews in the floor because he was cramping. Then he got taken away because he was feeling, like, dizzy and, and sick. I saw a post-race interview with Chris Nalans of Latvia, and he was like, this is the hardest race I've ever done. Like, why why would you do this? But not because far before the race said that the course designers were drunk when they designed the, the the course there was there was a lot of criticism about like the course design it was a really good spectacle for us as viewers but like i imagine 271 kilometers of that as a rider would have been just been so brutal and like look at the time gaps we had in top 10 these are like seismic gaps that you you wouldn't really see in a world championship otherwise but well, i would argue that that's not the course designer's fault that's the riders that were going absolutely full gas from like 150 kilometers to go we saw they were going absolutely helpful leather so that's nothing to do with the course it could have been any course and they would have ripped them each other to shreds that's mm. only like the distance is the kind of strange factor because we've had plenty of races you know world championships which have been this length and core uh, length then kind of like distance but i can understand ewan's point is that yeah there was something just it was just a number of corners and just a number of short, sharp climbs on the circuit as well. I'm not sure whether there's a compromise if you did more kind of off circuit and then perhaps did two circuits less, maybe. as kind of like do, do a bit more like a loop to begin with from Edinburgh to Glasgow and then do like two less circuits or something like that or kind of compromise on that that way because I must admit there was 60Ks to go and I did think how the hell 
is there like an hour and a half of racing left to go because there are 10 riders left. And I even thought, I even felt bad for him. I was like, dude, this is insanely difficult. There was no point where it was, it was easy. And yeah, I think the corners really maybe made it extremely difficult. Maybe it was a little bit excessive. So I can kind of understand both sides of it, but it did produce very entertaining race. That's the thing. It's like race engineering and like, the riders, it, it's always like a difficult balancing act because like you want to make the best race and then sometimes the best race has to be the most brutal race. The riders don't want to have the brutality and rightly so, but how do you sort of have like the perfect harmony b- between the two? But I mean, they really could have done with maybe one less lap. It, like mm-hmm. in that city center section, 271 kilometers is long anyway. And then with all of those corners in, in the city as well, just taking out 14 kilometers would have probably made it more sort of achievable. But at the end of the day, it, it made it a banging race. Uh, maybe if we had one less lap, it would have been even more exciting. I don't know if you listened to Walt Art's interview, but it was actually, it was quite nice. He kind of, he didn't say he regretted anything. He just said, well, I came here to win, but I'm not disappointed. Macho had just was better on the day. Mm. But yeah, the Belgian team, they kind of I don't know, they had three riders in top ten. So it's not like they came on the way with nothing, but and second for a while, but Remco was nowhere. We'll mm. get on to Remco later. I don't want to talk about him right now. But yeah. So was there a disappointment for the Belgian team or are they fine with this? I think I'll be fine with it, considering that I think if they didn't finish on the podium, that would be a disappointment, but they did. So at the end of the day, I reckon you could be relatively happy with that. I think, although I didn't want to talk about Remco, but I reckon he was a little bit disappointing. I couldn't really fathom what sort of happened there when he dropped off the group. I thought, I don't really know what happened there, but he did shoot his shot kind of in the race. You know, he gave it a decent crack. But yeah, I reckon Belgium... They did take such control of the race, though, is the thing. But they just got rolled by the better man, is the thing. Even if back, even if Van der Poel's first move got brought back, he was categorically better than Pedersen, Pogaccio, and Wout today. So even if he got brought back, he probably would have done the same thing up Montreux Street the following time and just dusted him just, just as easily, probably. So I'm not really sure Belgium could have done much else, to be honest with you, other than maybe Remco gets away on one of his attacks. That's a battle I could see really being a bit different. I don't think Belgium can be too disappointed because, like, at the end, it was it was down to Wout to Mathieu, and Mathieu was the stronger guy in the day. I don't think there's anything that Belgium could have done differently. I don't think Remco had the legs. I don't think there's anything tactically they could have done differently. Maybe place Remco further up the group, but inevitably he wasn't going to make that filtration where the the four best riders uh, ended up off the front. So I don't think Belgium can be too beat up about it. I don't think any team really can be too disappointed with their result today. Oh, poor Navarez, man. Yeah. That was the real shame. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys think there was any nation which sort of punched above their weight? Like Latvia, I think, did a yeah. real good job today, actually. To be fair. I think they did a real cracking job. Nailings and Schoen's both in top 15, I want to say. So I think that was a real good performance from them, actually, from a small nation with only four riders to get yeah such a good performance out of their riders I think was a real good job and also like Stefan Cole finished fifth 
Did he? Where? Where yeah. did that come from? That was incredible. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but anyways, returning to the the man of the moment, Macho Van der Poel. Yeah, where does this kind of rank him in terms of the best one day riders, goat of cycling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, in this kind of one day racer uh, this year already? We talked about that. Parube, Milan San Remo, second in Ronde van Vlaanderen, and now the World Championships and winning the Cyclocross World Championships as well. I think that. In this current peloton, Van der Poel is the best one-day racer. In this current peloton. I think historical riders, there, there are riders who were also very good, but I want to say that I think Van der Poel is the best in, in the current peloton by far. I think Pogaccio, give him time, but I think you know, Van der Poel for now, yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty unstoppable. He's like a big race rider as well. Like you see him at the Worlds, you see him at these monuments, and he rises to the occasion. And I think that says a lot because you're going to remember a ride in Pyro Bay more than you're going to remember a ride in Hades Wavelkem, for instance. And Van der Poel just seems to be able to bring it. And he's like managed that pressure a lot better as well over the past couple of years and sort of building up to certain points in the season even sort of like changing his focus from cyclocross to road, it used to be this big sort of like drama where we thought like, oh, he's, he's just not going to be there for a couple of races and eventually he'll like warm into it. Where now I feel like it's a more seamless transition. I think, I think Van der Poel is 100% the best one day rider. Pogaccia could be up there, but at the moment Van der Poel is just, yeah, fantastic. I'm sorry to wow, but wow just needs bigger sort of one day well, like big, big time one day race results, like a, a Paris Bay victory, like a world championship title. Feels like Mathieu van der Poel this year just like wanted to sort of fill out his palmares of races that he should win. Uh, and he's done that with San Remo, Roubaix, and now here at the world championships. And I'm really excited to see where he goes next year. Liege, Baston, Liege, potentially, or uh, other races that he hasn't quite cracked yet. Definitely could be a, could be an exciting one. I mean, what hasn't Mathieu won, but he, in theory, would go on because I really can't. Like outside of, I don't know. I, I want him to like win the monuments. Good. To be honest, I want him. Yeah, he wants to win Olympic gold and something. I think as well. Yeah, but like that Paris route really suits him. Maybe that's his new thing next year. Is like winning the Olympic gold in Paris. That could be a really maybe. achievable goal. Yeah, maybe it is a gold medal in Olympics is kind of a big thing, but. This is kind of my point, is that he sort of won everything that he is suited towards. He has won them all. The only thing he can do now is simply add more of them to his list. Yes. If mm. he well, has to finish second, then Macho Van Poel can win it. I mean, that's very true, because we have always made the thing of whatever Wout can do, Macho Van Poel can do better. But I don't know, man. I really don't know about Liege. I feel that when you get a Pogaccia there as well, I just favour Pogaccia over like other dudes and stuff like that. I just feel like maybe it's just a smidgen too long for Van der Poel in terms of climb length, but I'm more, I'm more than happy to be proven wrong. But then the problem is after that, it's like, oh, it's a Lombardia. He ain't winning that. Yeah. He ain't winning a Lombardia. I want him to get in the Monument Club. I mean, I'd love it too, but I just don't see it happening. So what else is there? Stages in all three Grand Tours? <laughs> 
you know, go to the Vuelta. Mm. Um, Britannia Classic. <laughs> um, GP of Quebec. <laughs> You've only got one tour stage win, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess like winning more tour stages, still Wild Thunder. He hasn't won here to Eiffel him. I don't oh. think. Yeah, it's true. No, I don't think so, no. Is, is he one E3? No. Okay, well, so. but we're just kind of caught with, here you go, Michael, here's your tick list for next year. Just go and do that, please, and then we'll come back next year and like, reassess. Tour of Denmark? What's one uh, Tour of Denmark? Ob- obvious, that is, that's the most important thing that he does need. Well, I don't know, what... what, what? So is, is he the best then? If he hasn't won Liège, if he hasn't won Lombard, yeah. if he hasn't won E3, if he hasn't won Ghent Welvegem, like that's quite a sizable list of one-day races. I think he literally is. Like like Ewan says, Wout is 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 good, but he lacks that. I don't know that absolute cutting edge on the big stage. He is always just sort of a bridesmaid, very very much like Sagan has been in the past. That's not saying that Wild is bad. I'm just saying that he's just massively consistent, but he's always just second fiddle to somebody else on the day, which is a bit of a shame. I just think Omashu is just unassailable at the moment on short, punchy climbs. Like, if we can see you later, like, you may as well not bother turning out. That's the thing. He's got that kick that no one else can respond to. Like, and we see it so often. Like, when have we ever really seen Wout be able to drop the other two? Like, with an attack. It feels like Mathieu's just got that, like, gigawatt explosion where he, like, rips into the climb and just gets rid of everybody and he manages to, like, sustain that all the way to the end. And it doesn't really get old, even today. Like, Great George Street was not where where I thought he was going to go into it. I thought he was going to wait for, like, Montreux Street or Scott Street, like, one of those, like, steeper climbs. But once he went for it, boom, just, like, no one's responding. And... I, th- I think that's such a valuable asset going in, into like the future when like in like a Liege pass on a Liege for instance if he does go to that he, he knows that he can rely on that sort of like gigaboom explosion big bang whatever you want to call it Oppenheimer move where like he just like drops everybody else on one of these super steep climbs you're going to mention Barbie <laughs> as well just to complete it <laughs> later <laughs> 100% I'm kind of Literally, Vanderpool is just such an aesthetically pleasing attacker. That's just the perfect way to describe it. Him and Light Pigatchi just have this look on them when they're attacking. It's just it's unlike anybody else. It's just exciting to look at all the time. It's it's just something which nobody else really has caught the uh, the mythos of in, in the peloton. Uh, Ewan and I talked about this on the recap. But uh, Patrick, where would you rank this world title in terms of his other victories? Is this like the best? But like you could class it the style or the prestige. So there's like two different ways you can put it. Mm. Oh, that's good. That's a good question. I don't know. I feel like his his Flanders victory against Wout, I do think is real good. I really like that one. You could say kind of the drama of when he beat Pagatcha and Madwas and Van Baal in Flanders. That was quite cool, but from a, oh, is, are they going to get caught kind of thing? But I do think of this as probably Matthew's most impressive victory 
actually just from the aspect of he did crash and the force of his attack and the just the conditions of it, the technicality of it. It wasn't just I am gonna go full gas up Adequam on Paterberg and then just sprint somebody out at the end. It was sustained hard 30 second efforts mixed with supreme technical ability, mixed in with surviving a crash, coming back from it, recouping and still doing well. Right. I just none of his other victories quite stand like stack up to the number of things which he did today, I don't think. But when you justified it, it, it almost felt like, yeah, I should I should be saying that. But something about like, okay, <laughs> definitely in terms of prestige, I'll say this. World Championship beats any, all the all the other ones in terms of prestige. But that 2021 Strada Bianca win is like yeah. magic, mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah, like yeah, that I was like such cyclisma. That was, that's very true. And also his uh, Murder Britannia woman, where yeah. he took the yellow jersey. Mm-hmm. In in homage to to Raymond Poulidor, that was a really cool one. And the fact that he took it with the bonus seconds and stuff, and oh, that was such a good one as well. And I'll stick my guns and say this was the best one. But I can fully appreciate the Stardew one. That was a cool one. But anyway, moving on to uh, Romco Venable, we touched on him a bit, and uh, Yun and I discussed this as well. He won San Sebastian, well, kind of convincingly beating uh, Bilbao in the sprint. We were like, oh, he looks very strong. He's got the Welta Espana coming up. He didn't do the Tour de France. But was this quite worrying for you guys to see Remco when the big boys kind of come? He wasn't really a, a threat as we thought he would be. I don't know. I think upon reflection, this wasn't a course which suited Dave Nepal as much as I thought. I think he um, said that as well. Yeah. I think that I'm therefore I'm kind of apprehensive to draw conclusions, but going back to San Sebastian, the fact that he wasn't able to drop Pale Bilbao, which no offense to Pale Bilbao, I would have expected Abe Nepal to have pretty comfortably got rid of him and just won solo. So I don't know, maybe there is a little bit of something where I'm a bit like, oh, maybe he isn't stacking up completely, but there is still like a little bit of time to go, I guess. But you would expect Abe Nepal to be on a very good level right now. It's not like he's turning up to world champs thinking oh, I'm just going to kind of like half-ass it and just sort of, you know, cruise on through and win anyway. I guess he's not as, like, brilliant as the other guys over 30-second climbs, but I guess the Fuelter isn't one over 30-second climbs, so that doesn't really matter too much. But there are certainly some question marks, I think, over Avenapool and his, maybe his form going into the Vuelta, the fact that he wasn't so dominant. And he's also got his new Tarmac SLA. Let's not forget that. That was released as well today. So, you know, you're going to get super watts from that as well, isn't he? I don't know. Um, are you guys thinking that he's not looking in good form for Volta? It wasn't the best side today, but it was just one day. Maybe he had an off day, but he was so confident beforehand about like Belgium being such a strong team. But was this really a Remco course? I don't know. He tried to attack, even though the attacks that he gave seemed a little bit blunt because they were marked by other people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not it's not a great sign. I think this probably strengthens the odds of Jumbo Visma um, being able to win the Vuelta Espana with Vigo and, uh, and Roglic. Also, this has just taken some time out of Avenapol's calendar, really, to come here. Uh, he's 
probably going to spend like a week in Scotland, um, not really doing altitude camps or like extreme climbing. The highest road in Scotland, Balloch and the Bar, is like 500, 600 meters in altitude. It's hardly a, an Alp, which is what like the the guys, like Yumbo Visma guys, will, will be doing instead. So I feel like the preparations are not great for Avonapool right now. Hmm. Good point, actually. Yeah, it's, uh, and also the team strength as well. Like, I know that they did win it last year, Sudal Quick Step. Obviously, they were under a different name then. But yeah, I don't know. There's something about Yumbo Visma. They know how to win a Grand Tour. They're hyper motivated to get every Grand Tour victory this year. I think Abe Nepal's going to need to find something to really kind of beat them, especially since the TTKs, the individual TTKs, are not as high as in like the Giro, so he doesn't really have that to go and rely back on. He can't think, oh, I'm going to put 30 seconds into a Roglic slash Vingegaard in each of these TTs, gain a minute. You know, there's one individual time trial. There's a team time trial, which Juma Bismarck are notoriously good at as well. So he doesn't have that to rely on either. I just think that maybe also stacked against him. Bravo's sort of, and you know, he's it's not like he can just go on some solo raid on like, you know, where he's like, I'm just going to go rely on group two tactics playing into kind of his hands because there'll always be a Roglic or a Vingegaard there to pull, I think, depending on who they decide as leader in that moment. And I, it sounds like I'm putting a bit of a downer on him, but I still think that he's going to do very well. It's just that I, in relation to Yuma Visma, I don't know how he's going to win. What about UAE? Almeida did not look good today. Yeah. I think, I think um, he but he crashed. One thing I, I do notice here in the start list is that of World Championships and the Vuelta is that there aren't many Vuelta favorites that came here. Almeida is one of them, Avenable's another. We have no, uh, Enric Mas can't really be here, but we have like no Ayuso. We have no Sasha Vlasov, no Vingo, no Roglic, no Garant Thomas. Like th- these are people you would think, oh, oh, like they might as well go to World Championships. If this were in the normal September slot, they probably going, would. Yeah, right. He's going to the TT, but he wasn't the road race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair point. Like in terms of like mi- missing out all that time of his of his schedule and for UAE, to be honest, like it didn't look great for Almeida today, but Ayuso, I mean. He's probably just going to try and bank off of Jumbo Visma doing a hell of hell of a lot of work during the Balta. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me to see a user actually finish ahead of Aiden Apple in this Walter. I think that a user, because he's been so young, he's got a larger kind of ceiling to improve into each year. Not saying that Aiden Apple's watched at the age of 23. I'm just saying that a user we haven't seen kind of as much of this year, and he kind of brings that element of surprise almost to the table he's a monster yeah he is I'd, i would have put a user as the leader over Almeida, despite whatever co-leadership like wolf are going to try to pull over our eyes i'm saying that a user's leader i'd back him i really would where's remco going to finish in the welter we might finish this clip before the prediction <laughs> i mean i'm just pointing out when uh patrick yeah. and I did the clip for much of underpool you didn't want. I I gave you the chance to say, do you is much Van der Poel going to be the champion? And you said no. I said he was going to finish on a put. No, I said he was going to finish third, didn't I? Yeah. Maybe the Paul where's he going to finish? I don't know, man. I'll go with. I kind of feel like he's going to crack, you know. I'm going to go with six, six and GC. It's pretty brutal, but I yeah, feel like he of... could. 
Crocolite Angleroo. Yeah, I've got similar vibes. I feel like a crack is incoming. Same. Um, I'm saying fifth. Yeah, it's somewhere between fourth and sixth. That's I don't think he's going to win it. Yeah. No, I could see Yumbo getting two on the podium. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah, I reckon they could. They saw UAE and they were like, I, we want some of that. <laughs> yeah, legit. Apart from they want the top step as well. But uh, anyways, the time trial is happening and uh, Remco is going to be part of that. Who do you see as the favourites here? Obviously, there's quite a number of exciting names there. The newly, well, how many times he's been world champion in the individual pursuit? Pilo Ghana, obviously, he's going to be here. I think Tobias Foss is coming to defend the title. Uh, Wout Van Aert, um, Remco. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think for road race, it's something to like take into consideration as well. The riders who t- did road race today might be fatigued. I know it is kind of like a few days away, but they talk about, oh, you know, I'm only going to be doing like an hour ride tomorrow. I need to recover well for this effort that's going to be coming up in the TT. So, Ghana, I know he's kind of, he has been doing track stuff, but he hasn't had to do a six-hour road race. So, I feel like Ghana has the edge, in my opinion. I would say that Avon Paul is certainly up there as well though and while it's just like an ever-present threat <laughs> just where while well, pretty much always does a good TT as just a de facto like I'm always surprised if Wild Art would finish outside mm. of top five yeah I think Wild will finish on the podium I think he could win I think yeah I don't really know who's going to win but I feel like Wow feels like a right choice the only thing is that like at the Olympics in 2021 Ghana did the road and the track. He was really good on the track, but not very good on the road. Uh, I don't know whether that's going to happen again here, where just Ghana just doesn't deliver on the road TT whilst he's like smashing it on the track, uh, which he evidently is doing. He's just won the individual pursuit uh, title. So, yeah, we we could, I don't know. I don't think we're going to have a huge surprise, like a shock world champion like last year with Tobias Foss, but... Yeah, someone like Wow would make sense. Even like if Remy Cavagno got a podium place, he wrote a really good TT in the final week of the Tour de France. That wouldn't shock me. Mm. Matteo Catania? How about that? <laughs> yeah, true. Denmark ascending, Miguel Biel and Kasper Eskain. I was playing DNF today, though. He didn't look that great. Mm. I know it was kind of wasn't cool. Yeah, DNF. But... All of the Danish team DNF apart from Pillars and then Skidmore. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to finish the tour on some good legs, though, so it wouldn't surprise me if he pulled out a decent performance. But honestly, if I was going to finish third, I wouldn't be shocked because I'd be like, ah, oh, you know what? That's kind of on trend, to be fair. I don't know. I'm with you, and I don't see a surprise winner. I, I, I think you're right about Gunner, though, that he could maybe be do good on track, but do bad on road. I think that's very possible as well. But yeah, I don't know. It's always quite hard with TT. So the kind of the mix between like fifth and 10th is always just such a washing machine. Like it's good. You could kind of, it's like a pack of cards, like shuffle them up and throw them down. And it's kind of like, oh, it's that person today. Oh, okay. 
I mean, the UK. Yeah, someone like a Ryan Mullen could finish like ninth, yeah. and like that I've would just been... feel like apt. Oh, true. Josh Tarling, he in Wallonie finished just behind Gunner in RTT. That was a ride and a half. He could finish really well. Almost like replicating Remco back in 2019 mm. when he finished like second in his first ever seniors and he could have been in the under 23. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You know, I'll make a bold claim. Oh. Josh Tarling. Podium. Podium. Third place. Josh Tarling finishes on the podium of the TTs. You and you like a bold. Um prediction for uh, TT. Remember Remy Cavagno winning the World Championships in 2021? <coughs> uh, <laughs> Correction, it was actually 2020. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. Different year. How did that end up? The beauty's in, in, in the detail. Um, I, not well. I can't even remember where I finished, but it wasn't in the top five. Uh, it's because, oh, well, actually, it's similar logic to my, my previous Remy Cavagno comment. I said he did a good final week TT in the Tour de France, and I remember I said that last time, and he just missed it at the Worlds. Even like, I mean, Kung looked good in the road race, but Kung doesn't win World Championships. This is just like, this This is like a known fact now that Stephen Kung doesn't win the Worlds. Um, I don't know. I feel like Mattia Catania getting a podium. I mean, we haven't, we haven't mentioned the course as well. So it's in Stur Oh, it's, it's like... A it's a couple of hills, and the final drag to the line is like cobbles. Ah, yeah, it's uphill. Does it go to like Sterling Castle? Is that where it goes? Yeah, that's the it yeah. does. That's a bit of a berg. But at that point, like, it's not like oh, the climbers will have an absolute advantage. It's just kind of like pure power. Just at that point, like, it doesn't really. It's not like even the wall being light is going to help massively. Like, it won't really. I wish you honest being goal was here. This is quite similar to the French National Championship route in Cassel this year. If I am wanting to back Remy Cavagna, and he obliterated that course against French, but right. Bruno Amirai, who, by the way, is rumored to be moving to Ange Desert Citroën next year. Oh, we will so, get all the transfers. Bravo. There's a really strange transfer I really want to get into in a bit. Oh, there's also but, a hotel we need to talk about. Uh, oh yes. Don't stop 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 teasing everybody. We're gonna we're gonna get to these. What was the thing? Oh, Hilly yeah. course. Um uh, tough race. Could I mean it's gonna play into what Vanard and Apenapol's hands probably. But last year's world's route was also Hilly and we had like a pretty bananas top ten. Mm. That's true. Who do you think's gonna be the surprise package? Now, who's going to win? Well, we might as well. Who's going to win the rainbow jersey? I'll go Ghana. Fun pick, not so fun pick. Fun pick. I don't know. Matteo Catania. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't say he's going to win. But I think he's going to do well. I think Remco is going to win. He just had like a biblical TT at the Giro. And like when he is good, his TT is still like he had COVID and still won a TT in, in the Giro. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. It's pretty correct. 
I'm going to say Walt Van because I like the idea of him and Macho having a rainbow jersey each. True. If we don't get either of these right, I don't, I don't understand cycling anymore. <laughs> Someone's got to be right. But nevertheless, if you have 200 whatever pounds spare, Ewan, what can you do for a night in Slovakia? Well, this is the wonderful story of the SP Resort. Um, the SP Resort is Peter Sagan's new project. So he's retired from the professional peloton, but now he has launched his own hotel, as is described on the website as the hotel that has a story. I'll be honest, it's it's pretty bananas. Um, everything is themed around Peter Sagan. Uh, the website says that we hope staying at our hotel will provide you with an amazing experience and allow you to learn about the incredible life of three-time world champion Peter Sagan. Why so serious? Open the door and take a look. And open the door you can and take a look you dare to. Um, there are a number of incredibly garish rooms. If you if you go to UNS, UNS Wilson on Twitter, you can find a wonderful Twitter thread analyzing all the rooms. The Tour de France room looks like sort of toxic waste on the floor. It's so green, it's like nauseating. Then you go into like the the Quebec room, and it's just like <laughs> there's a rug with the Grand Prix Cyclist Quebec logo, and in a wall filled of like stock images, stock photos of like the city of Quebec. Uh, and then you go to like the Paris Roubaix room. And it's got like this cobblestone effect carpet. So you've got a map of Roubaix on the wall. Then you go upstairs and there's a rooftop terrace, which doesn't actually have a Paris-Roubaix theme. There's a there's a tour of California room where there's like a surfboard on the wall. There's a dividing wall in the room, which has like some stock image of like a beach in California. In the in the Tour de Suisse room, there's like cowbells. It's like it looks like a log cabin. There's even like the blanket in there. It's like a military blanket that's given to like soldiers of the Swiss Army. It's it's wonderfully kitsch. It's over the top. It's so Peter Sagan. It can cost you anywhere between like 160 euros, like 300 euro to stay here per night. Um, it does include free breakfast, and there's also a fitness room where like there's like a gym. There's a swimming pool with the Peter Sagan logo in. Um. Honestly, check check out the Twitter thread on this. Magnum opus. Wow. That is somewhere. It just sounds like a massive red flag, is what it sounds like. It just sounds terrifying. Because I dread to think, like, is it, oh God, is Peter Sagan there all the time? I mean, obviously, this is just like his retirement fund, isn't it? Well, however much you're spending. X percent is just literally going to be sent straight to Peter Sagan. Like, this is the whole purpose of it. It's so that he can keep his, I don't know, lofty hobbies afloat during his retirement, which starts when? I can't remember if he's partially retiring or retired now. I don't even know. But, oh, gosh. I mean, I personally probably won't be staying. I don't know which room I'd want, to be honest with you. I kind of like the sound of a Tour de Suisse room. Is that the least the Tour de nauseating? Down my favorite. Oh, that's good. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's it's kind of like over the top. I feel like it really commits to the theme. Like some of the rooms, like there's a gravel room, and there's like no commitment to the theme. But like the Tour de Swiss room, which is two hundred euro per night, one of the cheaper ones, is just like it's just so over the top. Like it it's it looks like a lock cabin sauna kind of thing that, that you would probably find in the Alps somewhere. Full commitment to the bit. 
Love it from Peter. I hope he was on board with it. Then you go to like the world champion room, which is like an expensive one. But the world champion room has just like no commitment to like the world champion theme, no rainbow bands. It's just like a picture of Peter Sagan on the wall. And like some of the people in response to the to the Twitter thread were saying, like, imagine waking up in the morning and seeing Peter Sagan. Imagine trying to like have a really romantic experience and like you look up and you just see Peter Sagan like smiling on like podium girls above the headboards that's just like terrifying well um that aside transfer talks has well transfers have been happening as well Marcus Court Nielsen going to Uno X uh was Lechnison confirmed as well Trentin confirmed yeah I mean we should point out yeah so we should point out that August 1st has happened since the last episode August 1st is when you can then announce all the new transfers so that meant everybody was rushing out to announce them Uno X with their first big Flood of transfers. So Lechnerson, Mountus Court, uh, two big ones there. Also looking towards Tudor, they 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 cut out the bullshit. They announced like seven transfers in in, in one single tweet. It was like Dinesa, Trentin, uh, Michael Stora. We spoke about him in transfer talks over on the main cycling day channel about him linked to Sudal. That didn't happen. Uh also Mara Schmidt was announced. Also, the the strange... I mean, not strange, because we anticipated this, but it's mid-season. Arnold Demar moving to Arkea, uh, which we covered in Transfer Talks episode 2 over on the Cycling Day channel. There's also now, like, a bunch of new rumours. The strangest one that apparently is, like, legitimate is Mika Landa going to Sudal Quickstep. It floored (laughs) me. I was not expecting this. I was bamboozled. But apparently it's happening. Okay. Or the Remco project? But we don't even know if Remco's staying. We don't have to know if he's going to Ineos. That's still a thing. There's more There's more gossip on that. Oh, oh so much. Like, Rem- still, Remco Avenipol gossip is, is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, so, Remco Avenipol's dad decided to do an interview with uh, a Belgian media outlet. can't remember the name of it. One of the French ones. Uh, but... He, he was talking about like the links to other teams, and he said that there are three good links with teams, and Avonpool could move out by next year. Um, he's he's got like a, a sort of like five step plan towards winning the Tour de France. That apparently is our quick step, or aren't even like past like the second step at the moment. That's like paraphrasing. It's it's something along those lines. It's like Joseph Stalin kind of vibe. His dad was saying all this stuff, like spurting out like, oh yeah, yeah like Remco could totally move teams. Even a condom company contacted me. He actually said that. That that is a Patrick Avenipol quote. There, his his father. Right, hang on, he's called Patrick Avenipol, so it's Patrick Lefebvre and Patrick. <laughs> let me let me let Patrick me. Blake. Patrick Avenipol. Right, right <laughs> well, no, hang on, I don't. I don't why, why is yes, my name? yes, his name is Patrick Avenipol. Oh my word! Everyone's called Patrick. I'm in a holy trinity with Patrick Avenipol, Patrick Lefebvre, and Patrick Blake. What's happening? <laughs> Patrick Conrad. Um, but like Avonpool, I don't really know like what the beef is, but Remco Avonpool said this morning, quote, both my dad and Patrick, which Patrick we don't know, would be better silent. It seems like there's just like beef and rifts and like people keep talking and talking and talking about like what Remco Avonpool's future could be. It's kind of fascinating. But like the the, the three team link does sort of align with the previous rumors that we had about Avonpool not being happy as Sudal, but maybe it's Patrick Avonpool being unhappy. Yeah, then UAE making hella signings of everyone who's under 22 years old. Like that Portuguese wonder kid of what's his name, like Mer- 
Ricardo, something like that. He's really good. And they've also got that Jan Christen, Christiansen. Oh, yeah. The the one we spoke about, the one from the Poggy team. Yeah. And then there's Igor Arrieta as well. Like, what are you planning here? Is it just Ineos? Like, what Ineos were doing when they were Sky, who bring up all the talent and then spit them out three years later? Yeah, it kind of seems like that is the case. Ian Boswell? UAE have been doing some good job at, like, talent development. Who? Tarbogacha and Juana Yusuf. They were, like, they would have been amazing in any team. Is is Rob Premitek? Maybe not. Speaking of which, more riders are leaving DSM. Um... Including Henry van Denebela, who's moving over to to Lotto Destiny next year. Lechnerson has left, Vida Bari has left, and there might be more riders leaving DSM as well. So it's not looking good for for DSM Firminich. Oh, Dinez has left as well. Florian Stork is leaving. They they've all been announced. So yeah, troublesome times at DSM Firminich. They have to go like harvesting like eighteen year olds again to fill up their world tour like quotas. Yeah, literally, they had one of like the best development teams going to DSM, and then it's just kind of like fizzled away. Maybe they'll announce Jakobsen, like has been sort of rumored for what feels like a month, and possibly will forget all about it because ever since Koi resigned, it was like, oh, well, that's not happening. But yeah, you you do make a good point. DSM are sort of floundering right now. I'm trying to think of another. There was another transfer I was thinking of. His name Tamino, that sprinter from Alperson. He's going to Lotto Destiny to help Caleb Ewan win again to help Arno de Lee win more. This is where if Caleb Ewan stays with the team following the drama of the Tour de France, but apparently, saw Daniel Benson of GCN Racing um, tweeted that they like sat around a table and they all had like they all like held hands. And like said sorry, and they're happy to go on for one more year. Uh, so maybe maybe Caleb Ewan is is going to stick with that team for at least one year longer. But anyway, it's coming to our final part, and it is our rider of the week. Obviously, well, we can say you can do it over any discipline because there's so many disciplines going on. But uh, Matthew Van der Poel surely should be someone's pick. So. Yeah, well, Patrick, from from Glasgow, who are you picking? Well, being in Glasgow, who are you picking? I will pick probably the underdog performance of the day, which is Matthew Dinham, who finished in seventh place for the Australian team. He was in the early break. I remember cheering him on there and not really thinking that anything would really come of it. But the fact that he... Finished in seventh place as essentially a Neo Pro because he was in the under 23 ranks last year is quite simply mind blowing. So I will give it to him for pretty much the underdog performance of the elite men's road race. My ride of the week is a rider who would have loved to have been in Scotland because he used to be based there. Michael Storer of Groupama Francaise Déjà. Not only did he have a, a shock new transfer announced this week to Tudor Pro Cycling, but he also won the Tour de Lannes. By doing so, he got exactly the same results 
as he did in 2021 when he won the race, like exactly the same results and exactly the same stages. I think he was like 97th on stage one, second on stage two, and he won the third stage. The same exact same thing happened. And on the second stage, he crashed on like the bike throw to the line uh, with uh, Cepeda, Cepeda of Thibaut Pino shouting fame. Um, they went to the line, Michael Storer came down, and then the next day he won the stage, he won overall. It's got it's gotta gotta be Michael Storer. Oh, I was hoping someone was gonna pick Matravanapol so I could just go full Danish, but uh feels wrong to not having that. But we we try and not do them uh the favorite as the writer of the week. So I'm gonna go for the 16-year-old Dane, Albert Philipson. Not related to Jasper Philipson. Oh, that's a shame. I was gonna say. <laughs> Speaking of family, um, Alexander Kristoff has a little brother who finished third in the junior road race. He's 17 years of age. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Just saying. What? Why didn't this come Felix up in any of these interviews? I, I, I found this out like the, the other day. I what? clicked on his pro cycling stats profile and it said Alexander Kristoff was his brother. And then I did some Instagram stalking and found out that it's true because I didn't believe it. Earn Kristoff. The Christoph name is staying in cycling. This has really been like bombshell of bombshells. But anyways, that's it for our... The Peter Sagan Hotel, Alexander Christoph, 17-year-old brother. (laughs) It really is just like me. And Mika landed the Sudal quick step. Holy shit. And and the reveal of of, uh, Remco Avenable's father's name. Patrick. This episode has been filled with so many gems. Yeah, but that's basically it for twenty eighth episode of the Echelon Cycling Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Spotify, um, Apple Music, Amazon Podcast, and hit the like button, subscribe to the channel here on the YouTube channel as well. And uh, comment down below, get involved in the chat as uh yeah, it's always fun uh, to keep the banter going in the comment section and yeah, don't give us too much well, don't give you and too much hate about the anti- uh, what we're not hate this time uh, yeah but uh, that's basically it thank you very much for watching and uh, are we going to have you next week Patrick in Glasgow or uh, no next week I'll be in the Lake District but I will hopefully have Wi-Fi there so okay <laughs> the journey continues and maybe Ewan can escape his uh, childhood bedroom but uh, with that thank you very much for watching listening and we will see you next week